And I'm Ash. Welcome to Crime Potatoes Podcast. Grab your snacks, get comfy, and let's get to it. Welcome back to another episode. Hello. It's my turn this week. Yes. What's your snack today, Kins? Well, since we're recording at a different time this morning instead of at night, uh, I've got my coffee in my unfiltered poison mug. So nice. gotta have that morning coffee. I just have I just have water in my Stanley cup, so it's kind of a boring morning for us. <laughs> a little bit, huh? <laughs> Sorry, potatoes. Yeah. That's okay. Next time. All right. So let's go ahead and get into it. My case this week is the Lafferty brothers and the murder of Brenda and Erica Lafferty. Do you know this case? Yes. I mean, so there's a show based off of this case. And I we started yes. watching the so show. So it's, it's kind of came come back into the light. Yes. Yeah, because it's pretty insane like I mean you probably there's so oh, much yeah. in this case that there's probably you're probably gonna tell me a lot that I don't know because it's just so deep <laughs> but yeah I'm ready for it yeah so I have to tell you when I was researching this case I seriously went down a rabbit hole that we could have done like a three-part episode on this because it's that crazy so I tried to condense it as much as I can um, so my case sources, <laughs> I have a lot of case sources. Um, so I'm not going to say where I got my sources just cause there's so much and we'll just post those in our show notes for those that want to check those out later. And always before we get started, just a reminder, please follow us on Instagram and give us a five-star review. It really helps boost our show so that we can continue and maybe soon release more content. Yes. Yes, yes. All right. So I'm just going to step into it. All right. Before jumping into this case, I'd just like to state that though the LDS Church is mentioned many times and many people involved within the case are and or were members of the LDS Church, the LDS Church itself is not responsible for the actions of the events that take place. Just like any religion, some people become fanatics, taking their beliefs way to the extreme and too far. So in no way do I want to put a bad light on the LDS Church and instead just really try to focus on the victims and their family and the crime itself. All right. For those of you that don't know the LDS or Latter-day Saints, according to the churchofjesuschrist.org, the website for the Latter-day Saints, Mormonism is a term defining the religious beliefs and practices of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormons. Mormonism describes the doctrines of the LDS Church that were restored to the earth through the prophet Joseph Smith. Latter-day Saints' basic beliefs are, one, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and Son of Heavenly Father. Two, Christ's atonement allows mankind to be saved from their sins and return to live with God and their families forever. Three, Christ's original church, uh, as described in the Bible, has been restored in modern times. 
So that's just a basic overview for um, our listeners that aren't familiar with the LDS Church. All right, so here we go. Every year on July 24th in Utah and some surrounding states, Pioneer Day is celebrated. Pioneer Day commemorates the arrival of Mormon pioneers led by Brigham Young into the Utah Valley in 1847. These pioneers trekked trekked thousands of miles on foot and in wagons for religious freedom. Unfortunately for some, the day is a reminder of a tragedy that took place in 1984. American Fork, Utah, a somewhat quieter suburb of Utah, especially in 1984, the police were observing the celebrations of Pioneer Day when a call came in that late afternoon. A horrible act had occurred and police presence was needed right away. The officers that arrived on scene were not prepared for the gruesome discovery inside the home they were called to. All right, I am going to say a little bit of a trigger warning because a, a baby is involved and it's, it's a little gruesome. So if you don't want to hear about it, skip ahead a little bit. All right. So the police were, they went inside the home and they found 24-year-old Brenda Wright Lafferty. She was found on her kitchen floor, obviously beaten, strangled, and her throat slit. And down the hall in a small bedroom, Brenda's 15-month-old daughter, 15 months, Erica, was found in her crib, also with her throat slashed. A scene I'm sure officers will never forget. Who did this? Who would commit such a horrible crime against a young mother and her baby? Oh, I'm just, I'm sick. Like, I have almost a 15-month-old, and just thinking about that, like, makes me want to throw up. Right? Yeah. Later on, there will be more details, and again, I will let you know when there's a trigger warning for our listeners, but it's, it's... Just, yeah. Yeah. It's sickening. (laughs) All right. (sighs) Alan Lafferty, Brendan's husband, was found on scene. He had blood all over his hands and his pants, and but he was also the one to make the call to the police. But as we know, spouses are usually the first prime suspects, and Alan was no different. They immediately took him into custody and to the station for questioning. As the interview went on, What Alan had to say was unexpected and worrisome. According to Alan, the police needed to look at his brothers, specifically Ron Lafferty. Ron apparently had a vision. He told police that Ron was calling it the removal revelation. God had told Ron that Brenda and Erica needed to die. What? (laughs) Now to understand (laughs) just a little about... What the heck is going on? We need to go back in time and get to know the Lafferty's and we need to get to know who Brenda Brenda Wright was. So this is more of the part of the story that I know like a lot of like what happened before. So I, I'm just I'm interested to kind of listen just because like like you said there you could jump down like thousands of rabbit holes researching this case. So Oh no, it's insane because it really does like go clear back like generations and yeah so yeah as you'll see like I had to condense it again a lot and pick what was most important to add into this but really there's so much more than even I am going to tell you oh yeah all right I'm ready 
<laughs> are you sure? <laughs> okay. Maybe not, but here we are. Yes. Okay. So the Lafferty's were considered considered a prominent, devout Mormon family. They were very well known in within their community. And it's even said that they were like the Kennedys of Utah County area. Everyone knew them. They were very well known. They were very involved within their church, um, the LDS church. Okay. So Watson Lafferty Sr., the patriarch of the family, grew up without a mother. He was only five years old when she died during the flu pandemic of 1918. He served in the military during World War II, but not in action, but as a barber. I have thoughts there, but I'm not going to go <laughs> down that hole. Anyways, after the what? I just said, so like doing hair. That's what you mean like by barber. Yeah. So he okay. just, he did not see any action in World War II. Like he did not fight on the front lines. He did not do like any of that stuff. He just cut hair of his okay. fellow soldiers. All right. Just, just making sure I was like on the same page. Okay. So after the war, he trained as a chiropractor and eventually opened his own practice. However, his true focus was living, living a very devout life. He expected his wife and children to do the same. It is said that his far-right political views played a role in his traditional Mormon theology. So if his wife, Claudine, and I'd like to state here, this is not what the, the church practices. But if his wife, Claudine, or his children ever disobeyed him, he would beat them. And this, this, this next part, if you know me, ticked me off and made me angry. He even took a bat to the family dog, beating it to death just to teach his boys a lesson in responsibility. So he came home from work one day, and apparently the boys hadn't finished the chores that they were supposed to do. And so he took a bat and j made the boys circle around and watch him beat their family dog to death. That is just sick. Like, immediately, right then, red flag, he needs to be gone. <laughs> like, right? Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. Also, so not only did he, you know, he believed in heavy physical punishment, Watson Sr. did not believe in modern medicine to the point that he refused his daughter Colleen medical care when she was suffering from appendicitis. When her appendix finally burst and she almost died, he finally took her to the hospital for treatment that's that's so frustrating because like yeah. i get like that some people have like a problem with modern medicine like to each their own right but when it gets like bad enough like well there should be a happy me happy medium there should be a happy yeah. medium like if the pain is bad enough i don't care like do whatever you need to do personally but i'd rather be safe than sorry oh yeah like, she almost died, and he was like, oh, fine, I guess we'll take you in. But he had such, like, a he distrust in modern medicine. So his uh, he himself actually suffered from diabetes and refused to take insulin. So his mistrust in modern medicine would prove fatal and catch up with him, and he ended up dying in 1983. <laughs> from diabetes that's terrible i did not say that i'm sorry i mean uh well you are allowed your opinion 
So thanks. <laughs> and I agree with you. <laughs> All right. So Claudine Laverty, um, the wife and mother, she was a very submissive wife and followed her husband's rules and traditional views on Mormonism. Women belonged in the kitchen and taking care of the family, family and husband's needs. Even after her husband died, she seemed to continue living on no differently. And she also very much enabled her sons in their increasingly troubling pursuits. Um, as I was doing research, I actually couldn't find much else on their daughter, Colleen. Um, so I think it's safe to say that after growing up in such a domineering household and then the circus that would come to surround her family after everything, she would want to stay far from the limelight of her family. So yeah, there is not much else on what happened to her after she, she left home and whatnot. All right. So going into the rest of the family. Though Ron was the oldest of the Lafferty brothers, Dan was his father's right-hand man. Dan followed the most in his father's footsteps and then some. After serving a two-year LDS mission to Scotland, Dan returned to Utah and would eventually marry a divorced woman he met on his mission, Matilda. He became the stepfather to her two daughters, and they would go on to have four more kids of their own. Dan also received a degree in chiropractics and worked alongside his father and brother Mark in the family business. In the mid to late 70s, he began his own research into Mormon history. When he came across a text from 1842 published, published by Mormon prophet Joseph Smith, the text apparently justified polygamy and other things sending Dan into an even more patriarchal tailspin. He became obsessed with the fundamentalist views of Mormonism. So just a note here, again, for our listeners, the FLDS is the is a branch of the church that broke away from the just the LDS church and continued polygamy. And so he started going down that path and started believing very much in those, what they would call the traditional beliefs, yeah. so-called the, traditional. So both of them have like the same like core values, but it's like, yeah, the main yeah, core values, I guess. But yes, to a point. Um, to a point, and then they like completely. Yeah, because they also a... believe in taking very young wives, like that are twelve, and so yes. yeah. Just say, just wanted to make that clear. So anyway, so he started becoming obsessed with the fundamental fundamentalist views of Mormonism, so much so that he set new rules for his wife and children. Matilda could no longer drive. She couldn't talk to anyone outside of the family without Dan's presence, and she was only allowed to wear dresses. She had to wear dresses at all times. Dan also began rejecting medicine and public schooling. He threw out any and all texts that were non-Mormon. Dan also began inserting his dominance over Matilda, beating her if she ever disrespected him. And Matilda's his daughter. No, Matilda is his wife. Oh, sorry. I got that mixed up for a second. So Dan is the son, is a son yes. and he married Matilda. So okay. Matilda is his wife. All right. So yeah, so he began inserting his dominance over Matilda, beating her if she ever disrespected him. Matilda tried to rebel. According to her daughter, Rebecca, she fought back. Rebecca stated in an interview, quote, 
she'd let the chickens run through the house and say, okay, let's live free, end quote. She also said that Matilda encouraged Dan to get a second wife so that she could leave the marriage. But as hard as Matilda tried to rebel, she evidently gave in, later stating, quote, I had come to a place there was no choice. I could either go and leave my kids or stay and accept it, end quote. That is devastating. Right? Like, like just how you said, like, she was to the point, like, it's different if, like, she's, like, wanting these same beliefs, you know, but just my perspective, it kind of almost seems like she didn't want it, but she was pushing for it just so that she could leave, so that it would be easier for her to leave, which is so sad. And then at the same time, she knew that if she left, then there was a chance that she wouldn't be able to take her kids with her. Yeah, which is, I I couldn't imagine that. Like, I mean, I only have one little boy right now, but like, I I could never leave him like behind. Well, and not so. to mention, so she is far from home. She's from Scotland. Dan met her well on his, his mission. That's so right. She yeah. is far from home. She doesn't have family around. She's alone. Yeah. And She's... so she, she finally had to make a decision. Um, I will say later on, though, she does divorce him. Good. Once he is arrested and all that, she does finally leave him. Anyways, as he sank deeper, as Dan sank deeper into the fundamentalist ideologies, he also went deep into libertarian ideas. He refused to pay taxes on the family business property while his parents were gone on an LDS mission, resulting in almost losing the business. His father had to come home to fix it. So they left their mission and came home to fix it because he became so like anti-government. And again, I have my own views there, but even then it's like, it's insane. Like he went full anti-government, full, like it was so nothing to even do with the church. He went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um. So in 1982, Dan believed he needed to take his then 14 year old stepdaughter as his second wife. No. Yep. It didn't happen. Good. Just saying that right there. Going against the LDS beliefs, Dan was then excommunicated from the LDS church. So the church was like, they were keeping tabs when he started going down this path. They're like, okay, this is, this is not okay. You need to come back to our beliefs. You need to understand like, and he refused. And he, then when he's like, I'm going to take my 14 year old stepdaughter as my second wife, because God's telling me this. They're like, yeah. And they, he was excommunicated. Yeah. All right. So shortly after this, Watson Jr., another brother, introduced Dan to Onias, a leader of the School of Prophets. When Dan joined, so did most of the brothers. Surprisingly, aside from Alan, pause who, real fast. Sorry. So the School of Prophets, I, that, is that another religion that doesn't like sound familiar? So it's like a, so you got the LDS church, mm -hmm. right? And then you have the FLDS that broke away. Mm -hmm. This is like a branch that broke away even from the L LDS church. Oh, okay. So they still follow the, follow the fundal, fundal, oh my gosh. The funda fundamental. The fundamental. <laughs> I can't say that word. <laughs> <laughs> my, I'm obviously struggling. So they still followed the FLDS beliefs, 
but they also branched off and they were definitely more political. Like they were definitely more libertarian and more anti-government and they formed their own type okay. of religion. I actually didn't know That's that. That's kind so. of what the School of Prophets were. All right. Yeah. So they weren't even really the FLDS. They were like a branch. They kind of formed their own religion off the FLDS in a way. Yes. Yes. And then, but like, Again, if you deep dive more into it, it's more, they were definitely more preaching of libertarian views, like really far right views on politics and stuff. So yeah, surprisingly, aside from Alan, who is the husband of our victim, Brenda, (laughs) Ron, now remember at the beginning, I stated that Alan said, look at my brother, Ron. Ron was the last to join Dan in all of this. So his his change was quick and he spiraled, spiraled fast. And again, like I could have done like a whole episode just on Ron. So I'm going to go into a little bit about him. And okay. I tried to break it down, condense it enough without losing a lot of it. So, All right. Ron grew up spending the majority of his time under his father's thumb. He hated his father and didn't agree with many of his views. Father and son didn't get along at all. After graduating high school, Ron also served a two-year LDS mission. He served in Florida, where he met his future wife, Diana. After returning to Utah and marrying Diana, he got a good job in construction, became a very respected member of the LDS church, and a devoted husband and father. A friend of Diana's would go on to say, quote, I remember a marriage that was happy for 16 and a half years. End quote. When Dan and their brothers began having these meetings with the School of Prophets, Diana encouraged Ron to talk with his brothers and give them advice on the path they were going down. So Ron was one that the brothers usually would go to, and he was quick to discourage them or encourage them. Like, if they were doing something they weren't supposed to, he'd be like, okay, guys, what are you thinking? Come on. Yeah. So that's why Diana was like, you need to talk to your brothers. Ron is the oldest, right? Yes. Ron is the oldest of the brothers. So I believe there's six brothers total, and then the sister, Colleen. All right. And you don't So he was kind of like a father figure in a yeah, lot Yeah, in a way. Especially after their dad died. He And he was definitely a lot more level-headed. And he did not agree with how his father handled family. Like, yeah. he did not agree with beating. He did not agree with those things. So it was no surprise when Diana's like, look, your, your brothers are going crazy. You should go talk to him. This isn't okay. I'm worried for them. And especially for their wives. Like... Diana was very close to all her uh, sister-in-laws, so she was really worried for them, especially like Matilda. Oh, yeah. So Ron went to one of the meetings. He asked a lot of skeptical questions and was, you know, being what Dan would consider ignorant. Like, he just is like, you guys are ridiculous. This is stupid. You know the truth. You, you, you know. Yeah. Uh, Dan even said later in an interview, he said, quote, Ron was embarrassed by me. He was a devout saint and he said I was an embarrassment to the Mormon church end quote but apparently Dan was convincing because Ron decided to attend another meeting to better understand 
where his brothers were coming from and how he could better help them. And then he went to another and then another. And then Ron did a complete 180 and quickly converted to Dan's cause and beliefs. Ron transformed from the family's most reasonable and emotionally stable member to one of its most passionate fundamentalists in the family. So he literally within just like, it was like within months, maybe a year that he just did this 180 and started following the beliefs. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Um, I just barely pulled up the family tree because like you said, like this is so twisted and like it kind of, (laughs) it can get confusing. So I just pulled up the family tree and I just wanted to like let our listeners know that we will post this on our social media at Crime Potatoes on Instagram so that you can kind of have a little bit of a visual breakdown um, to kind of help you understand if you need that. Yeah. Well, like I said, we really could have done like a three-part episode on this because like there's so much about each brother. Oh, yeah. Too. And so I actually condensed it and decided let's focus on the main brothers involved, really involved. Yeah. So thanks, Ash. Yes, we will make sure to post that on our Instagram page. Uh, all right. So yeah, Ron did the, his 180. He became so passionate. He got so deep into the school of prophets that all within a short period, he was excommunicated from the LDS church and lost his job, all of which put a strain on his strong, loving marriage. And throughout this turn in Ron, Diana turned to her sister-in-law for help. And the sister-in-law she turned to was Brenda Wright. All right. Alan was the youngest of the Lafferty Bunch. After serving an LDS mission, he joined an LDS singles ward for students where he met Brenda Wright. Brenda Wright was a former beauty queen. She was tall and beautiful. And according to her sister, Sharon, Brenda's personality was loud fun and strong-willed. Brenda had a confidence about her. She would curse, she would laugh, and she would never hesitate to speak her mind. Her sister said she was not your typical goody tissue. Like she had a very strong relationship with her her faith in the LDS church, but she was also a normal human being. Like mm-hmm. and especially for the 80s, she was loud and she was she would say what she she felt. Like if she didn't agree with something, she would say what she felt unapologetically so, herself. Which yes, I think exactly. I feel like everybody could which, be more that way. Encourage. Yes. <laughs> yes, for our listeners, be unapologetically yourself that is important anyways moving on before we get to yeah (laughs) so brenda had ambitions to be the next diane sawyer so if you don't know who diane sawyer is she is an american television broadcast journalist she's known for anchoring on abc world news tonight good morning america in 2020 so she was a especially for that that time um where women weren't really in the broadcasting industry she was a powerhouse and especially as a woman so that's who brenda strived i actually like have heard her name before but i didn't know like yeah who she was or like what she did you know i just like heard her name on like probably TV yeah probably definitely because like she is very well known So Brenda graduated from BYU with a degree in journalism. She also worked as an anchor at KBYU and had dreams of broadcasting on bigger networks. Brenda and Alan were married on April 22nd, 1982, in the midst of the Lafferty brothers' descent into whatever they were going down. 
So shortly after they were married, Alan pressured Brenda to quit her job so that she could stay at home and start their family. Pressure that seemed to come from Alan's brothers. She became pregnant just two months into their marriage and gave birth to their daughter, Erica. So unfortunately, with the growing pressure from Ron and Dan for Alan to join the School of Prophets, it caused tension to grow in Alan and Brenda's marriage. Brenda did not like the path that Ron and Dan were on, and she was not shy about it and she voiced her opinion often and she worked hard at preventing Alan from following in their footsteps because she knew it was not a path she wanted him to go down. So Alan felt torn between his wife and his brothers especially because Ron had such a disdain for Brenda and when Diana turned to Brenda for help Brenda encouraged her to seek divorce. And when Diana realized there was no saving Ron or her marriage, with the support of Brenda, she did just that. Diana filed for divorce, which was finalized in 1983. So I know that we just got gone through a lot and I didn't even go through every single family member because every brother has like their own little part into this whole scheme. So like I said earlier, I'm just focusing on pretty much like the main people of this event. So um, yeah, when Diana left Ron and took their kids with her, this sent Ron into a self-righteous spiral. He blamed Brenda for splitting up his family and felt she was controlling of Alan, which in Ron's mind is not how women should act at all. She was out of line. Ron immersed himself into the School of Prophets, becoming a self-proclaimed prophet himself, and began receiving visions, excuse me, began receiving visions from God, or so he claimed. And in March of 1994, Ron told Dan and a few others about his removal revelation. His what? Removal revelation. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't like that, the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he even wrote it down as if it was from the mouth of God. So I have it here. It says, quote, it is my will that they be removed in rapid succession and that an example be made of them in order that others might see the fate of those who fight against the true saints of God, end quote. So in Ron's mind, Brenda and Erica needed to be removed from this world. Along with them, Chloe Lowe, a former Relief Society president who supported Diana during her divorce from Ron, and Richard Stowe, the stake president who presided over Ron's excommunication from the LDS church. So now it's expanding outside of the family. Yeah. So he believed Brenda and Erica needed to be removed because he did not like her. He had a problem with her personality and he blamed her. Even though he, I again, we'll go more into this when we... we finish but it gets yeah and so then he also said that God wanted him to kill two other people and when you look into the, their backgrounds they were also involved in the excommunication and divorce that Ron went through so Alan would later testify that Ron revealed his revelation to him so Alan actually knew about this so-called revelation and he said quote 
I told Ron that God had made no such revelation to me, and I would protect Brenda and Erica with my life, end quote. But after he said that to Ron, he never heard from him or any of his brothers about it again, and so he brushed it off and didn't think much of it again until July 24th, 1984. That morning, Alan was away from his home handling work business. Ron and Dan, with the help of two others, Richard, known as Ricky, Knapp, and Charles, or Chip, Carnes, drove to the home of their brother Mark. They picked up weapons, and despite knowing of the so-called revelation and the obvious signs of potential violence, Mark didn't call the police. He believed in his brothers. The four men then drove to Brenda's home, but there um, was no answer. So you said Chip, and what was the other kid's name? The other guy's name? Ricky. So who who are they? Because they're not the brothers. No. So... <laughs> They were just, they, um, I debated on whether going into depth about them. So I'll just kind of give you a little overview. No, you're good. I I figured you might ask, but I wasn't sure. Because, like I said, (laughs) again, this case really could. There's so much to it. So Ricky and Chip, they were just, like, um... Not necessarily homeless, but kind of homeless guys. They were uh, hitchhikers and stuff, and they came in contact with the brothers, like, weeks earlier and started, um, like, they joined the School of Profit. And so that's kind of a little bit of their background. And Ron and Dan pretty much convinced them to help them follow through with this um, removal revelation. Yeah. All right. So... Like I said, even they picked up the weapons and Mark knew of everything, he didn't call the police. The four men then drove to Brenda's home. Dan got out and knocked on the door, but there was no answer. At first, thinking it was God's will, they began to drive away. However, Ron decided that because it was his revelation that he needed to try. So they went back. Ricky and Chip stayed in the car as Dan and Ron went to the door. This time, Ron banged on the door until Brenda answered. Ron and Dan then forced their way inside, beating on her. Okay, I'm going to put out there again another trigger warning. I'm going to go into a little more detail about what happens. And if you don't want to hear it or can't stomach it, I suggest skipping forward like a minute and then keep listening. So Ron and Dan forced their way inside, beating Brenda. She pleaded with them over and over, please don't hurt Erica. Just don't hurt Erica. But while she laid bloodied and bruised on the kitchen floor, being strangled by a vacuum cord, Dan went into Erica's room, talking calmly to her, saying, quote, I don't know the meaning of this, but it's God's will. And one day, we will be able to talk about it. End quote. And then taking her by her little head, he slit her throat with so much force, he nearly decapitated little Erica. How old was Erica? 15 months. That's right. I just... Yeah. That makes me sick. Like, and what they're saying, like, it's almost as if they're like, I don't know. I mean, they are trying to excuse what they're doing by saying it's God's Mm -hmm. will. There is no excuse. Yeah, there is no excuse for this. And it's just, it's disgusting. So after he... He did that. He then walked back into the kitchen and sources actually vary on who actually did the cutting. But then either Ron or Dan, one of them, then slit Brenda's throat. The brothers ran to the car and the four men drove to Chloe Lowe's home. Now, remember, Chloe Lowe is the Relief Society president that helped 
Diana, Ron's wife, through their divorce. Okay. Luckily, no one answered. They broke in anyway, stealing a few items before getting back in the car to find Oh, I'm so glad she wasn't home. Yeah. So luckily, the men got lost and so turned around that they kept driving right past Richard Stowe's home. And so they decided that they weren't going to go back. And then the men then knew it was time to flee. Talking about God's will. (laughs) Right. Now, that is God's will. Yes. Come on. So then, like I said at the beginning, Alan was the one that ended up calling the police, but he returned home to find his wife and daughter. He fell to his knees next to Brenda, praying over her, knowing who and what had happened. So if you remember at the beginning, I said that they immediately took him into custody because he had blood all over his pants and his hands. Well, it turns out he literally fell to his knees praying over Brenda and just asking for forgiveness and pleading with God to show him what he needed to do. That breaks my heart. Yeah. I I can't even imagine, like, what he's feeling. Like, um, I can't even imagine, like, coming home to find your wife and daughter like that. Like, that's got a completely, like, just destroy there's like no words like more than destroy you like i don't even know like i can't i can't even imagine yeah there's no words for it like you said there's no words for it i i can't imagine it either like uh so um again i know i've reiterated this so much but like the whole arrest and trial we could have done a whole episode on just that but i've i've condensed it down just to kind of a little overview So on August 17th, 1984, Ron and Dan were arrested by the FBI at a a casino in Reno, Nevada. Chip and Ricky were arrested on their way to Wyoming. While awaiting trial, not only did Ron try to kill Dan, stating again that it was God's will, but he also tried to commit suicide. After this, a judge granted them separate trials. Dan represented himself and took only 13 minutes to plead his case. In the end, he was found guilty. However, one juror stopped him from receiving the death penalty. Instead, he was sentenced to two life terms to be served concurrently. So that just means at the same time. Ron's justice was a bit more complex, and again, I could have done a whole thing about this, but without going into too much detail, he would go to trial three different times due to his competency coming into question. But finally, in 1996, Ron was found guilty and sentenced to death. However, thanks to our justice system, he would become one of the longest-serving death row inmates in our country, spending 34-plus years on death row. Finally, in 2019, after being denied appeals, Ron was finally given a date for his execution, and he elected to be executed by firing squad. But again, before that could be carried out, he died in November of 2019 of natural causes. Dan is still incarcerated to this day at Utah State Prison in maximum security. He believes that this is God's plan for him, and he even calls calls to a prison his monastery, monastery. I think I said that right. Which is just like, he calls it his church pretty much he's supposed to be there um dan 
has no remorse, stating, quote, I'm not ashamed of what happened. It was a matter of business, end quote. Freak you, Dan. Yeah. (laughs) So there's so much to this case, and I condensed it a lot, but I'll leave it up to all you potatoes. If you want to dive into that same rabbit hole that I went down, be my guest, because there is so much to this, and it is absolutely crazy, and I feel like I covered the bare minimum, but don't forget Brenda and little baby Erica. They are the most important about this case. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like I'm still like sitting here looking at the family tree, and like I feel so bad for a lot of these people, but I also like hate a lot of these people. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, I don't even know. Like it's just, it's so messy and ridiculous yes that is a good term ash it is so messy and if you like you can go way back starting with their father because what he engraved in their brains led to them going into a deep dive into this cult and taking religion way too far it's just like like I said, it was a rabbit hole and it's just crazy. And I like yeah. the word messy. It's, it's just so like messy. devastating because like, I mean, I kind of knew like that there were murders and stuff, but I didn't know the exact story. I just knew like you said, like the father's story, the one who like had really started into like the deep cults, religion, whatever. Well, and he was... He was still just borderline compared to what oh his yeah, sons and did. like he was still a part of the church, and but he was right there on oh, that yeah. line that was but still pushing it. He was definitely pushing. Oh it. yeah, and knowing like some of the stuff their father did, like I just like no wonder these some of his kids turned out the way they did. Um, but like I thought, I thought the dad was crazy, and they just get crazier. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Yep. And, you know, you want you want to blame the father so much. But I am also a firm believer that at a certain point, you can no longer blame your parents. Oh, 100%. You have your own choice, your own accountability. And so, yeah, like you said, their father didn't help. But they, I mean, Ron was such a good guy. And I, like... He just did a 180. Like, I I could have deep-dived in just an episode on him and the whole 180 he did from being, like, a really good father and husband. And then, like, it was literally within weeks, months that he switched. Yeah. It's just it's so crazy. Like, I, I don't understand how that, like, can happen either. Like, how you can just switch that fast. Like, you can be living your life, like, this one way. And, I mean, it's easy to, like, oh, I'm going to go this way a little bit. Or I'm going to go this way a little bit with my life, you know. But to completely, like, he's not even on the same path he was. Like, <laughs> like it's almost like he's a different person. Like, just... Yeah. Yeah, he completely switched directions. Well, and that's what Diana's friend had said um, when she was interviewed. She's like, I remember him as this great guy, and they had this wonderful marriage that you you pretty much envied. And then all of a sudden, he was yeah not that person. Like, <laughs> that's that's where I find some, like, when I say fascinating, like, 
not, I don't use that term lightly when I say that, but I, I'm fascinated by the mind of <laughs> these criminals. Like what, what made Ron switch? Yeah. Like what clicked in his brain or switched it? what switch flipped in his brain that made him do this 180 like that is something i find very fascinating i'm disgusted but fascinating i get it i am just glad diana got out of there before all of this happened yeah i i agree and um I hurt for Matilda, but I'm glad that she is, she's gone now. I, I'm not sure where she ended up, but I know she did end up um, divorcing him. Oh yeah, that's right. When all of this came out. That's right. So yeah. And yeah. Well, that's it. Good job, kids. Thanks. That was a lot. <laughs> something. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even like, I know. wrap my head around it. I'm still kids. like. I'm still processing. If you really want to know more, then I encourage you to go down that deep dive, whatever. But again, it it, it is a lot. It is a lot. I had to finally stop myself. Yeah. Well, they made a whole they made a whole TV oh, series yes. off of it. Like I will seasons. say, I'm very torn about it. They they yeah. They don't portray the church very well. I will be honest with that. Like, no, they, they do don't portray the church not like the church is. <laughs> no, they but don't. And they they to get the basics of the story. It's yeah, yeah. You know. So it's, anyway, yeah. You, if you want a Hollywoodized version, go watch it on Hulu. But I personally, after doing all my research, I was not a huge fan of it because it focused too much on the religious side and i will tell you you potatoes uh lds people do not talk like that they do not forgive me for saying this they do not just pull scripture out of their butt every time they talk so yeah that's not (laughs) i found that really weird take a weird take that they did in the show but the actors did a phenomenal job don't get me wrong they did great yes but I was not a fun, fan of the, the, the creative path that they, they decided yeah, that's to fair. take. So, all right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode and all that jazz. We will see you next week, potatoes, for a brand new episode. Stay safe. Yeah, stay safe.